Uh, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Rule Not the Exception podcast. The guest we have today is someone I'm very excited about. He burst onto the acting scene in 2018 with a standout performance in The Informer for the BBC, which led to him being named Screen International Star of Tomorrow. He also comes from a family of performers, uh, a musician as well. We have Naban Rizwan. Thanks for coming through, bro. Hello, hello. Thank you. Where did you get all that information? Uh, where did we the get all that information? Google is your friend. Google is, is our friend. It was all correct, You're though, right? You Google. Was it all You could have just asked me. Yeah, that's all correct. Yeah, that's true. That's all correct. Imagine if I rang you, like, Naban, tell me Who are you? all the good things that have happened to you in the last three years. That would be amazing. It would <laughs> be none of that stuff. It's actually so, but funny enough, you say that. Mm. Since, like, Informer Blue and, you know, your name started to get out there, did you feel like things were, oh, crap, I've got to talk about myself a bit more now and I've got to... I've got to speak positively and I've got to, do you feel do you feel that pressure? Yeah, big time, man. And no one's ever asked me that and that's like super poignant because um someone said to me a while ago like your brevity is your biggest strength and your biggest weakness at once. And I'm like, wow. Cuz you know, I'm a bit shy as well, you know. Um but I had to learn the kind of vocabulary of like when you're speaking or doing press and you have to speak a certain way and not speak a certain way but just um speak about the thing you're involved in does that come are you aware of that like i read somewhere about um when you got the phone call to say you got the role you were like obviously excited for a bit and then you went back to sleep because i think it was first thing in the morning or something yeah and then when you start to process it you know you get the scripts you start working on it you're on set do you start to engage in your head of like, man, I'm, yeah, Paddy's the lead, but I'm also the co-lead. Like, is there, do you start to feel the pressure of, man, when this comes out, I may have to do this and I have to, do I need to perfect, you know, like the way I speak or the way I dress or how I'm in public? Does that start going oh, through your no, head early? No, no, okay. in terms of that stuff, like, I always knew my taste and, um, you know, especially with the way I dress and the music I like, like, I knew that stuff early. You know, like I knew that stuff when I was like 10 years old. So in terms of that, I, w- I was excited about um, showing that and, and showing like my light. But in terms of being on set, you know, with Paddy and with Belle and yeah, there was stuff associated with that that was definitely a trip. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, this is this is how it's meant to be, um, you know. So it was just a great training camp. And also everyone knew it was my first role. It was a lead role. But everyone kind of knew what the the deal was. So, you know, there was a lot of patience there. And I was very studious about the whole process in in terms of like, okay, this is a set, like who gets here first? And okay, that person, I was like, what's your name? You know, that that was really important to me. And everyone treated it like that for me as well. So that was really nice. Well, let's take it back a little bit. Tell us about how the audition came about Mm. um, and then sort of that process. So... I first got my agent that year, maybe a couple months prior, and uh, I didn't go to drama school. Um, for context, I I just we um, me and some friends got together and we we put on like a like a little showcase, much like you would have at drama school, and you know a theatre Suffolk Playhouse. Big shout out to them; they they let us have their space for an afternoon, and yeah, we just knocked some speeches out, and I didn't invite anyone um, apart from my girlfriend at the time and. Everyone invited like agents and everything, but I didn't know that, you know. So we just had fun, and I got my agent off the back of that. Informal was one of the first auditions, so it just 
What was the time frame between that Southern Playhouse gig and, and the audition? The first audition, maybe not even a month, maybe like three weeks. Wow. Yeah. The so audition process was long. Prior to that, had you, when you did the Southern Playhouse um, showcase with your mates, mm-hmm. was that just out of fun or did you have a sense of, oh, this is something I'd like to do with my life mm. and this is a stepping stone or way in? Both. I'd say definitely both because I I had an experience with being passionate about something to the point where you think, okay, I want to do this for my career. I want to do this for the rest of my life if I can. And it th- there was a certain intensity that came with it that was um, kind of like almost paralyzing. And so I thought I'd, I'd take things easier and really investigate um, this acting thing, you know, investigate this music thing and ask myself if I really loved it, you know. Um, and when we were doing those speeches, like, I just had so much fun. And, yeah, I kind of quietly decided to myself, you know, without telling anyone, like, yeah, this is definitely something I could do. But also this is something that could work out when I'm 60 because it's just the nature of things, right? So, <clears throat> How do you sort of gauge the sense of <clears throat> longevity in something that you love? That it's not just like a passing phase or a bit of fun. It's uh, that's a really good question. I I think it's like a uh, it's like a fire, you know. It's just like a fire that never goes out, you know. Even if it goes out for a bit, like the embers are always there. You can get tired, you can get exhausted, but the embers are always there. And um, it's just that thing when you when you listen to your favorite music or you watch your favorite film. It's that like it's just that uh, like. Uh, life force you know so I knew I had that inside me and I knew it might take a long time to bring that about does that come from what you were seeing at home because obviously your mom your dad your brother are all in the arts in mm. some capacity Wait, yeah. is it what would you say that's where it started or not even man like it would be maybe a bit naive or, you know, inaccurate to say that that didn't have some influence on me. You know, like, my mom was big in the community where I grew up in Ilford, and she would always put on these functions, and, like, many, many functions a year. And she'd hire out, like, all the church halls, and there'd always be some function to look forward to. And she'd make her kids, like, if you're not singing, you're dancing. If you're not dancing, you're acting. If you're not acting, you're, like reading some poetry if you're not reading some poetry like one time she just gave me a book and just I had to read like the first chapter of the book to an audience it was yeah it was crazy so like I actually low-key hated that and then like when I was a teenager my brother had this YouTube channel which kind of like it was really silly and stupid but but, super successful now like yeah it kind of took off or at least like in Ilford at least you know and it got him his first work and that was cool but I was at the time I was um uh oh when I was saying like previously I was interested in like a different career it was cricket so growing up it was like on a barn oh like he plays cricket um so I'd like go to cricket club and like they they used to take the piss out of me hard and and then in school as well because they were like really like goofy silly videos and we dress up and put on silly voices and I'm like I'm like, trying to be a cool teenager yeah. also like trying to not be that attention seek attention seeking because attention in school isn't always great that's so um, rare because you know you said you know you grew up in Ilford and y- your mum would sort of um, 
make you do these sort of, uh, you know, like you said, the reading, the performing. Yeah. Again, that's so rare from an Asian family. I don't think it is, man. No? I don't, no way. Okay. No way. Um, Riz Ahmed said to me, like, art is the most fucking Asian thing you can fucking do. You don't even have to go back that far. And I really want to, like, lean into the mic and, like, take this opportunity to to, to challenge that notion. Okay. Because it's too easy. It's, it's lazy and it's from? too easy. Sorry? Where do you think that notion comes from? Or the, I guess, most people would stereotype um, Asian communities as being very studious and academic. Yeah. Um, rather than, you know, as Sack pointed out, it does feel, uh, I suppose, stereotypically at least, rare to to find the arts as something that's a realistic or a coveted position to be in? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot layered into that. There's is immigration, you know, um, and kind of survival mechanisms, mechanisms that come with that. But, like, you know, there's even layers to that. You know, my mum used to organise, um, like, these, these um, like meetings for asylum seekers underneath Nuri Foods, which is like a big supermarket in Ilford. And she'd gather like all the local people that were like either illegal or asylum seekers and trying to figure out like how to move through this, you know, herself included, you know, and my dad. So, but at the same time she was writing plays, you know, so it's it's not, it's not one thing and it, it never is. But I, th- I think yeah, it's immigration, and and look, it's not just limited to the South Asian community, right? You know, it's there's West African stereotypes, you know, there's Caribbean stereotypes, you know, but it's it's important to challenge that because it's too easy for white people to go, well, like there's only ten Asian actors out there, you know, the rest of them are wanting to be doctors. That is yeah. so racist. No, Let's challenge that. No, that's completely. That's so awful. And then you know, going back to you were saying you were on the set of The Informer. And everyone was aware that was your first role. Yeah. Was that was that a, a supportive environment? Was everyone sort of patient with you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wasn't um, I wasn't incompetent, hmm. um, and I was very aware of like setting the right impression and putting my best foot forward. Just because that's how I operate, and like I've got this great opportunity, this wonderful opportunity. Why not put my try and put my best foot forward every day and learn as much as I can. Um, so I wasn't just like stumbling around like someone help me but um, you know people just people just knew it was my first time and they had that bit of extra patience you've said that that, um, to prepare you before the shoot that the director got you just walking around Brick Lane with a camera in your face yeah Um, how was that and do you feel like that was quite like a baptism of fire because you'd not really been on screen before that I assume yeah uh, absolutely it was a baptism of fire he says it's prep, but that was the first day of shooting. <laughs> that was like, okay, let's put those days first because he's just walking around and it sounded good in my head. And then I turned up and it's like Brick Lane and everyone's there and staring. And they're like, why Why is this guy walking around? Why are they filming him? What's happening? And is that I, stuff You that could made feel it? people like turning towards the camera. And you're like, oh, no, don't oh. do that. Because they're not extras. They're just w- people walking around. Yeah. That was super trippy, right? Because... Film sets aren't real places. Like you might film in Brick Lane, or you might film in a pub, but then after that day is done, that doesn't exist. It's vanished into thin air. You go back to that pub, and it's a regular pub. So seeing the where the lines cross between like this is a real place where people are, and like we're filming a thing that actually doesn't tangibly exist was 
super trippy and a baptism of fire and walking is harder than it looks. Walking is harder than it looks. Walking and talking is really hard. But talking you can, yes, yes. Talking you can lean on though. Pardon? Walking, talking and then hitting your mark is even harder. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to touch on, I read in one of your interviews that um, you felt quite connected to the character in terms of the concept of as a person dipping in and out of different circles and that was something you could relate to growing up. Um, I was quite curious about what you meant by that and what circles you felt you dipped in and out of growing up um, and I suppose the influences that had to where you are today. Yeah, so um, I think code switching is the time for it if if, if I'm correct. But yeah, I experienced a lot of that. I mean, just the cricket boys, you know, and school and the acting side and I was quite involved with sports at school, you know, and then being around a lot of women and like how you talk to, you know, because there's, there's so much in that. There's like, there's like racial, there's like male, female, you know, there's like being in a locker room and just hearing the type of conversations that like boys have about girls you know, and then you go to class and your best friend's a girl and then, like, you change your behavior. So there was so much, and I think you just naturally... I think all of us just living in London have some experience of that just because so many, like, groups of people are so close together. I mean, like, I was on Edgeway Road the other day and you turn a corner, it's a council estate, and you go back onto Edgeway Road and it's like, the shops are so expensive, you can't buy anything. Yeah, there was a lot of that, and... There's a lot of that in the character, and I, I channeled that directly. I picked that up very early, and I'm glad that the writers included that in the script because it's an important part of it. Who would you, who would you uh, go to if you had any questions? Did you feel confident that the director was available for you when you you know when you were offset? So mm. If you had any sort of uh, insecurities or stuff you weren't sure about, I mean, you got to work with you know one of my favorite actors growing up was was Asher Ali. And he's amazing. He's amazing, and I've always, he's I like, always where feel like is he? he's mad underrated. Where is he? Yeah. He's just in Nottingham yeah. <laughs> watching the football. Like, come on, like he's ridiculous. Yeah, he's. I feel like he's mad underrated, and he, I've he's, always... He's the cleverest always, actor I've worked yeah, with. Do you know what? I had the funniest first like meeting with him. So it was one of my first days on set, and our trailers were right next to each other. And he's just uh, smoking outside of his trailer with the door open looking into like the middle of nowhere and I see him like hey man I'm the barn uh I really like your work I'm glad to be working with you and he just (laughs) he just like leans in and goes yeah this shit ain't a joke this shit ain't a joke man I was like okay wow and like really (laughs) pregnant pause and like we're just staring at each other and uh, I, I still don't know what he means by that. So if you're out there, Asha, I'd like to know. Or maybe I wouldn't, you know. The myth, yeah. the myth of it is great. Um, what was the question? Asha Just, Ali is great. <laughs> so I guess Asha is a good example. Is yeah. it someone you could lean on as a, another person in the production? Who you, you know, you had some... I know you didn't work with him, if I remember correctly. You didn't have the vast amount of scenes with him or anything. It was, nah. But was he someone you could lean on or was there anyone else who you could ask questions to when you were feeling insecure about anything or not sure about something? Yeah, I mean, Asha's great, and I'm sure he's very wise. But I thought maybe if I asked him any more questions, he'd just stay. You start smoking again and, and not say like, anything. This shit is real. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like I really learned to lean on myself. You know, um, during that time, I think 
a lot of people can be in your ear. Um, a lot of people wants to show is out. You know, a lot of people will tell you just to make it's the next step, and and this is what you need to do, and like you should be in these types of films, and like everyone has an idea for you. But I think I've always remained integral to like, you know, that life force that I was talking about, and like that is the core of me, and um, let me follow that if if nothing else. And outside of that, there's my brother, there's my mum, you know, there's Riz. He he always reaches out, so. That's plenty. That's plenty of voices. I mean, listen, Riz Ahmed's a, a great person. If you're going to have someone on the other end of a phone, he's not a bad person to have if you, yeah, if and you he's need just, some guidance. He, he's great. At, he just reached out to me, actually, Okay. you know, when before Informer even came out. So I'm like, how did he... His radar is crazy. Yeah. Um, but he's so, like, just just willing to help out and not precious mm. about, you know whatever especially as he could easily be because he's seen as like the asian right and that has that's that's a fucking problem as well because have you ever has anyone ever told you you look like riz i've played his younger brother in a show before so right we did brits together um, okay and i played his younger brother um Mm. him and manjinder verkin that's dope that was like his first thing right one of one of his first things yeah yeah it was I mean, I would say it was probably his introduction in terms of like British TV and you know mm. on a on a high scale, big budget production. Yeah, trying to fall, but oh, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment, and I appreciate that. But really it, though, because that because that's happened to me, and I didn't take it as a compliment. I mean, context is everything, right? But yeah. I was gardening, right? I was I, I I was in this community garden that my friend runs, and it's just like nice vibes and just music. And this woman came up to me. She was like, "I know you." You know, she's giving me that like spooked out look that you get, and she, and then she was like, "Oh yes, yeah, yeah." And then I was like, "Yeah, I'm an actor, yeah." And she was like, "This is pre-informer." This is a week ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> and she's like, "You know, you look just like Riz Ahmed." And then that's you know, my heart kind of sunk. I just, yeah, man, that happens a lot, and it's just not cool. Why did your heart sink? Is it because you you don't want to? be compared to someone else you want to be your own person what what makes your heart sing no it's just I don't look like him is it the notion that because you're Brandon an actor you could only possibly be yeah the one just, that everyone knows do you know what yeah. do you know what hurt me the most like I'm not, I'm a sensitive person but I'm not so sensitive that someone goes hey Riz and then like I start crying but what made me want to cry was the fact that I just smiled and, and nodded and in, continue to engage in conversation when my heart and brain was like alright this is long just get back to your thing like I, I was paralysed you know when uh, when you're triggered or when some, someone says something problematic there's that thing of like what do I do now you know, what was the on. what was the I mean can you voice what was problematic about it to you and why it had that paralysing effect on you I mean well why it was problematic is, is the same reason why uh when John Boyega, someone mistake, mistook him for, yeah. who was it, um, the boxer? Uh, it was... Anthony Joshua, wasn't it? Was it Anthony Joshua? Okay. I can't remember who it was. I know there was some... But, like, it was just so... <laughs> it was just like, ridiculous. You know, A black celebrity. Yeah. Right. You know, and, like, half the time these people don't even look like each other. And, yeah, man, I... I, I it just didn't it just didn't sit right with me. And yeah. the, the thing that really upset me, though, was my reaction to it. And 
she made it so awkward when she said that. Like my friends around me, I could feel the awkwardness. And yeah, I carried on. And then I went back to them. I was like, what was that? Why did I carry on? Why did I not say, hold on a minute, like, no. And also, that's not cool. And 10 minutes later, she came back around and she was like, I do know who you are. And then I said... I wasn't in Slumdog, stop it. Right, like, I was like, okay, but what you said earlier was like, that that's not cool. And then she, she kind of denied it and was like, oh, you know, my husband's Jewish and, you know, people say he looks like all sorts of people. And I was, and I was like, cool, whatever. But I was glad that for once, for the first time, I was able to be like, actually, that wasn't cool. Because mm, that takes a, practice. And, and bravery and courage. I think yeah. it's amazing that you felt you could um, call her out on it. Mm. Do, do you feel that's happened within our industry ever? Do people um, mistake you or see you as just one type of thing and you're like, no, that's not, you know, yeah. I don't look like that. Or I'm not just the Asian guy on the show. Yeah, but, you know, like, I don't pull my hair out. Like, it's also my job to show you who I am, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't go around denying who I'm not, you know. So for someone so young, you seem to have a really clear idea of your likes or dislikes like whether it's your clothes your music or who you are as a person and and I really want to know more about it but the kind of roles and jobs that you want to go for mm. where does that I guess acute sense of awareness and also comfort with who you are and, and where you want to be come from is that from a family or friendship or community because you definitely have a, a you know wiser beyond your years vibe I just look older than I am uh, I just got bags on the mice. I I really can't comment on, you know, the source of that, but I can definitely say that this lockdown time has helped to cultivate that a lot. It's um you know, it's been a lot for a lot of people. And it's been tough at times. Also it's been like the biggest blessing in terms of just having that time and space to delve into like one's own uh, kind of like repertoire of inspiration uh, and I hate that word and I just used it but just stuff you love you know just stuff that gets you out of bed every morning like what is that script like what is that movie what is that book that you'd get up out of bed 3am for you know and then really investigating that and being studious by it and also just keeping your nose to the, to the grindstone and, and practice like this is the first time I've ever just got a scene out from an old audition and just done it again and like self-tape myself on my laptop just, just for fun sharp. just for fun okay just to stay sharp but just for fun and because i enjoy it you you also definitely seem like someone who because i know when we worked together and we were talking about because you know i think you were busy quite i mean you have generally been quite busy mm. but i remember at the time you were saying i've just come back from taking a bit of a break things were pretty full-on for a while yeah. and you so you you definitely seem like someone who's not afraid to step away if you're like, mm, you know what, I need to just do me for a bit, which yeah. is especially rare I find in this industry because everyone's go, 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 mm. work, 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 next job, next job, next job, because who knows where the next one's going to come from. That's a really important point, man, because, you know, as much as I speak about this kind of like firebrand energy and like what I love and like being specific about the scripts, I'm also in a super privileged position in that I'm no longer needing to hustle. Um, but I also remember that like, this is an art and a hustle and a business. Like, people have made money out of it. Like, and there's a lot of money in it right now. It used to be that 
if you put your money in films, this is a great way to lose money. Now it's the opposite. So there's all these forces at play, and like I'm super aware of that. Um, it is what it is in terms of you know at one point you had to hustle and get your foot in the door, but no one tells you when to stop doing that and start like following your own compass artistically. No one tells you like okay you've had enough jobs now, now just do what you want and you know set intention and explain that to the people who work with you and who are around you no one does that so you kind of have to decide for yourself at that point and probably when I spoke to you was that point I probably just watched a lot of films that just got to me and reminded me of why I got into this in the first place and just had a little shift you know had a little rejig in terms of what were some of those early influences and films that made you want to do it early influences Mm -hmm. not much in the way of film if I'm completely honest and um Animation was a big one. Animation. Um, I really love like. I'm first of all, I'm an aesthete. Like I'm really, I love how things look, and and that's the first thing that attracts me, you know. And uh, so like a Wes Anderson film will always be more interesting than ninety nine percent of what's out there. Yeah. Um, to me, and so you know, animation is similar because it's incredibly creative. It. It requires hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people working on it for a long time. And just the worlds they create. You know, like I'm a big fan of Futurama, like I still watch it. And it's so creative. If you watch that show, like uh, like comedically it's on point. The voices are amazing. There's new things happening in each episode. like, And just the intro, right? The intro of Futurama, there's like different logos. And they only appear there for that intro. Like the amount of creativity that goes, you know, into that. And then they just like just wash it away that really um inspired me and then recently i've been wanting to watch more stuff like that you know and um the last black man in san francisco is a film that i was filming something at the time and i had work the next day and i was like oh my gosh i need to just completely rethink everything but just like in the best way just in the best way that movie's it's a dream so when you have these influences, where does where does it sort of take your mind and your dreams in terms of the trajectory that you see for yourself or that you'd like for yourself? Because I know you spoke a little bit earlier about uh, people pushing their ideas of what you should choose and where mm. you should go next once the informal is out. Like, how are you staying on point and where do you see yourself going? How free flow are you with it? Or do you have a really set idea of where you want to be? I think both. I think you've got to be really specific about what it is you want and then and then be open to everything that comes your way and see if it see if it fits through like your uh filters like the same way that we have to work through so many layers just to audition just when a script comes through like am i the right look for this am i the right build for this you know like am i the right race for this like all there's all these things that could get in the way and that producers and writers and everyone is thinking about when you're just sending in an audition the same way that like the same should apply for you, right? Like the same, you'd be like, okay, well, I want to do something along the lines of this, or like work with this person. So like, what is that? Um, so it's a bit of both. And going forward, I just really want to just talk to these people. You know, I want to. I'm trying to get in touch, man. But a lot of people, the Zoom thing is, is frustrating. <laughs> so you know, hopefully, I can I can meet these people, man. Are um, you a confident auditioner? Do you get nervous? Are you able to just be in the moment? Nerves are a weird one. Um, I think when 
there's this lovely sort of like natural thing that happens with auditions I've noticed which is like the ones I've been most nervous for probably weren't for me like the more nervous I am the more like I'm having to try and like become something and that sounds weird as an actor but like there's a certain amount of like centeredness that you need um, for you to portray a character and when I've not had that or when I've been ill prepared because I don't really give that much of a shit because my agent just told me like those are the ones where I get really nervous outside of that nerves you know in an audition that I care about is just the way of my body just preparing me and um it's a weird one, you know. Sometimes they just pop up out of nowhere, and you just yeah. you just learn to deal with it. Do you feel a? Do you feel there's a sense of competitiveness amongst your family, whether it's your brother? I know your mother <laughs> just did a stint of an Indian TV show. Is she has she finished with that now? Yeah, she's she finished, she's finished with that. With that. Is there ever a sense of, especially your brother, because you're, um, I imagine going up for similar auditions yeah. does, do you feel a sense of that between you two or are you like super supportive nah nah there's stuff that I've given to him there's stuff that I've had to offer for and you know I wasn't available I didn't want to do it or I thought my brother would be better yeah uh, and vice versa that's so, amazing and like yeah and we're working together right now on, on his thing so yeah in my family no uh, outside of that yes <laughs> How competitive are you by nature? I'm so competitive when it comes to games. Um, We've been trying to, we, me and the bar for a while, message each other like ev- for a, for about, I think every week for about a month. Are you free for this game? I need a player. Are you free for this game? Do you, I need a yeah, player. And it just never happened. It hasn't worked out. <laughs> yeah. So we need to get that in. Yeah, but you'll see a different side to me, man. Yeah? Yeah. Is it a side of yourself that you, oh, it's ugly. It's ugly. You don't like it? I don't know, I hate it. Do you find it's useful? Who wants to be that guy, like, just yelling at the ref? We don't even have a ref. <laughs> it's just another player. I swear we're, we're just yelling same. at him. I'm exactly well, the same. Well, hang on. Are you talking about fantasy football? What are you talking about? Actual football. Not oh, okay. Football. I thought you were talking about fantasy football. No, no, no. That I'm super competitive with as well. But mm. actual football, I'm always shouting on the on the pitch. But yeah. And I get essentially the same. Yeah. And I'm also just that, well, less and less now. But, like, as a kid, I was always, I just didn't want it to stop. Like, what do you mean we have to go back home? Like, okay, it's nine o'clock, but don't you play till 10? You know, so games are really important to me and I'm super competitive, uh, but I don't see art as that at all. I think far too many people do. Very few out of necessity, but most out of just this kind of like almost Americanized, like Lombardian ethic of like, you, if you're working, you're winning. I don't, don't ascribe to that, you know, whatever. If I had to be, if I um, had to be a devil's advocate on that, I would love to sort of say, is what it, a most handsome advocate you'd be. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to go. Is is that easy for someone like Naban to say when, you know, you've got some awards, you've done some lead roles, Informer, The Accident, 1917, Mogul Mowgli, Industry, Station Eleven. Like, for an outside looking in, can sure. it be easy for you to go? Well, yeah, it's not competitive. Absolutely, but um, just like I said before, no one, you know, and there's there's nuances to that. Like, there's been lessons along the way. I'm not saying every choice I've made has been like spot on. Like, I'm sure I've made some mistakes, 100, percent and it's, it's part of the teaching that um, has come come towards this revelation I've had recently, you know. But there's there's nuances, and I'm always learning, and I'm gonna make many more mistakes. I guess all cool, um, you know. Even now, my mentality could could be that. 
what what are some of those lessons that you learned along the way? I know our listeners would, you know, massively appreciate because you know we hear so much about the wins. Yeah, we don't always hear about people's learning opportunities and curves along the way. Is mm-hmm. there anything that you can think of off the top of your head? Yeah, there's one. There's um, specifically for actors. I've done a couple of things where I've thought about my character, and yet, you know the audition material comes in and. Like you read your scenes first and like, oh, you read the rest of the script. Like you might skim read it and then you think, okay, I could do something with this. This is a cool character. And then you watch it, you know, you've, you've done the job, you watch it in the whole context of the, the, the piece, right? And you're like, oh, okay. Like I didn't think about how this character fits into the rest of the story and this world. And I should have considered myself in this world as opposed to, yeah, I could do something cool with that dialogue. Like, you know, that was, that was super naive, but a very important lesson. Um, so that's one I could think of off the top of my head. Another one's just don't don't wing it if you can help it. Like our world is just full of selling everything, and like you guys don't have a um, a sponsor like that you say at the beginning of the podcast, right? No, that's like the greatest thing ever. And like this is no our dis- passion project. Yeah. <laughs> so we no don't disrespect if you get one and like you know you have to do that thing. But like every podcast, like no matter how sincere you think they are, like they're selling something. Yeah, and maybe not for other people but for me that like that slightly dampens things like it makes me a little bit sad like my heart broke when I saw uh, Richard Richard Ayawade doing that HSBC advert I was like him? Right. I was like really? like I love this guy like for for me he's the epitome of like like follow your own thing and you don't have to sell anything and now he's doing HSBC like the guy from the guy from Whiplash the bald head guy from uh, Whiplash. Um, yes, yeah, I can see his. I forgot his name. Yeah. I was watching some uh, American, perfectly legal football stream, <laughs> and he had these American adverts, and he was doing like farmers insurance, and it was like the crappiest advert ever. And this guy's like one of the best actors, and yeah. like, you know. But it's all good. Like they don't, they don't. Uh, those people don't owe anything to me, but mm. just for me, not everything yeah. has to be about I guess selling. I guess it's difficult as well when we're in an industry where it's often glamorized, but obviously it's driven by art, at least for the most of it. It's sometimes a bit of a wake-up call when it's like, yeah, but people still have bills to pay. And so I guess everyone's situation is a bit different, even, you know. I definitely had that feeling when I saw De Niro with his coffee ads recently. I don't know if you've seen them. And I was like, dude, you don't even need to do those. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Even Clooney, when Clooney was doing the coffee ads. And I know these guys are superstars to an extent where it's just part of who they are. But I was still had the same feeling of like, oh, I didn't think you'd have to do that because you get you get to make any movie you want. Yeah. You're those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? It's like a mini like heartbreak. Yeah. But then you learn, okay, th- like Richard Iwadi doesn't know me, probably doesn't care about me. He doesn't owe it to me, you know. So in the same way, I'm my own person and... We're lucky, like we're in this thing as well, right? So we get to make our own decisions. Yeah. And we get to have our own uh like ongoing negotiation of like, okay, I could do that. Fine, I'll do it. Or like, no, nah, I won't, you know. It's what are the things that you weigh up when you negotiate with yourself about the work that comes your way? Because I assume um, if they have Fiji water in the trailer. If they don't <laughs> have Fiji water in the one. trailer, I'm out. <laughs> like and a big fruit Plata. uh like table every morning just for me. Only red skittles. Only red skittles. Yeah. Yeah, I saw his trailer no. in industry. It was mad. <laughs> just was, the red skittles. It was, mad. was it just red <laughs> skittles? Everywhere? No, no, nothing like that. It was red coloured. The trailer they'd painted it for him. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, like, what? 
Mm, script. Script is like the Bible. It is is everything, and I find it hard to when like when people say like, okay, the script is okay or like it's good, but actually it's got this director and they could elevate it to here. Like I find it hard to envision that when I'm reading something. To me, like it's all got to be on the page. It's you're you're essentially reading a book. Uh, you you, f- you should feel like you're watching the film when you're reading it. If and what's your what's good. your process? Are you someone who uh, what's your process? <laughs> what's your process? Are you more instinctive as an actor? Do you like to know every single word, every single intention? Do you like to prepare to the max, or are you quite free and just like to find things in the moment, or maybe a bit of both? Probably different with each job, but um, probably up till now, it's like you know, like it's free flowing and like yeah, prep is good, but like um, you know, leave things till the day, and like that was low key an excuse for being like ill prepared and and winging it, and you know. Now I want to go the other way and like like right now I'm reading a script that's just it's just you know when something just gets you and it, it's like okay yeah this is that thing I'm just reading it every day you know whether I get it or not like that's but if I do you know I'll know all the scenes when we when we start filming on the first day just because of how much I love it so that's always a good sign I always um, yeah my mom always said like if you give a shit you'll you'll need me telling you how much to to do it and is that a project that you mention like you feel centered with you don't feel nervous about when you go and talk to him about it and stuff like that is that definitely a good example of that yeah i mean nervousness and excitement are the same things like low-key like fear and excitement are very very close to each other and it's a good place to be if that fear or nervousness is coming from a place of like that deep-seated belief that like i myself am not enough for this then we should probably you know, take a step back and like reevaluate things. But if it's coming from a place of like, ah, there's so many possibilities, and let me make sure I got all my bases covered so I can put my best foot forward, then that's a good place. So yeah, probably a bit both. So as I, I sort of touched on earlier, you know, you did the Informer, and then things changed. How how long after did that come out? About a year, maybe less. About eight months. About eight months. Mm. So you did the Informer, it comes out, gets great responses. Then you know, you go on to do jobs, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, accident nineteen seventeen, Mogul Mowgli, Industry, Station Eleven. Did you ever feel a sense of, hmm, this isn't that difficult in terms of like, you know, you you may have seen actors or no actors who are just grinding and hustling every day, just trying to get a guest spot here, yeah. a reoccurring there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't ask that like in an arrogant way, like Naban thinking, oh my god, well this is a piece of cake. How are you struggling? Like, but do you feel a sense of like? wow, something's clicking here. Like, I feel like I'm getting a grasp of what is required. I, I did, but maybe for like 10 seconds because I think as an artist, it's my job to be like, yo, like this is not enough. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and be a token for you as a white executive or whatever saying that like, Naban's been in all these things, the industry looks great, you know? Yeah, you list those things and it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I have done all those jobs. But it's it's my job to push. It's my job to push and and reach a hand out as well. I'm curious as to what you, when you mention sort of these executives that might try and, I suppose, pigeonhole you, if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. What is What does that pigeonhole look like for you and what are you trying to avoid? I know the informal was something that kind of flipped the 
terror story on its head a little bit. Were you aware of that going into it, or was that only after it came out? Um, aware of what part of that? The 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 pigeonholing or the both? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, super aware. I mean, people talk about like objectivity as it's like I, I think it's overrated. I, I'm very opinionated and biased, like way biased and judgmental when it comes to scripts. Like, I know if if a script comes through and it's like, okay, you're playing a Syrian refugee. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna go through that with a fine comb. I'm gonna be very aware about that, and you know, be skeptical, and with good reason. Like, I'm very aware of these pigeonholes, and you know, people say that, um, you know, you know, Informer subverted the stereotype. Well, like, cool, but what else can we do now? Informer's done. Like, that was great. Let's not subvert. Let's just go somewhere else. Let's just go left. That's that's where I want to take it now. I just want to go like way out of space because let's let's be honest, white people are allowed to do that all the time. You know, like anything that was surreal or experimental or you know ethereal, it was always white people growing up. You know, it was it was Bowie, it was it was Jim Carrey, it was you know like we could only look up to white people doing those things. And now everyone wants to have this conversation like, you know, you're doing great. Well, I'm like, okay, well if I'm doing great, let me take it here. Let me take it here. Let me take it to outer space. What's the response been to that? Um, people just smiling and nodding and then just saying the same thing. Do you find that there's a bit of a ceiling that you're trying to crash through? Maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe. Is music an outlet ceiling. for it? Sideways. Do you find there's more scope for that when it comes to your music? And I definitely want to touch on that, that mm. it's kind of a big part of your life. Yeah, um, it is, and I, I feel like yes, because uh, there's there's a lot less voices right now. Like right now, it's just me, and the recording engineer, and the mixing engineer, who's the same person. So it's like two people. Um, I do all the production, the, the arrangement, the writing. So yeah, I can I could do what I want and. Sorry, this is what it is, you know. I did listen to your EP and I loved it. It's got, you know, especially the the title track, Fantastic Planet. Mm. It was, it's got that sort of eighties synth wave vibe. Yeah, is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is that were you influenced by some of the eighties music or anything, or was it just a sound that you liked? Um, uh, that track was actually co-produced by um, my friend uh, Minus Kendall. So yeah, he found a sample. So I'm more of a seventies cat, me. I think like a lot of the music in the, the early 70s and like from around the world, like 1972, so much like mind bending music is made that year around, like not just in America, like around the world. Like I was listening to, um, do you guys hear about Ennio Morricone passing? Um, Ennio Morricone, like the most coveted, like the greatest film composer of all time. Like everyone knows about Hans Zimmer, but, and a lot of people know about Morricone, but actually like he's the guy. Um, probably most famous for doing like Good, Bad and Ugly and like all those spaghetti westerns but he did a lot more than that covered a lot of ground and like he has these amazing like beautiful soundtracks from the early 70s I highly recommend like listening to that but um, the 80s is a bit more few and far between but you know maybe I'll move on to that it's yeah. constantly changing the sound talk to me about the name that you go by L Huxley okay um, so there's this um, line by Yasin Bey, formerly known as Mos Def, and he goes, uh, hey Huxley, what you smoking? Don't let the arcade put you in a coma. And I, that, you know when you just hear certain, like a certain line of poetry or a certain line in a song, you just go, what? 
what, what? like no rewind that what, what did you just <laughs> say so that was always that for me and I don't know why but it always stuck with me and I just you know I like the idea of um the industry or whatever have you you know the world being like an arcade and like it's fun but just remember who gets the bag just remember the house always wins and remember not to to stay out too late otherwise your eyes will be square you know what <laughs> I mean like I love that idea I was like get what you want from it you know win those tickets and leave that was like me calling myself Huxley was like kind of like a reminder to that and it's also to call last name and then L was like I see it as this like eastern western thing you know it's like a Spanish uh, word but it's also like comes from the Spanish Arabic connection where like Al was a prefix to a lot of American uh, sorry <laughs> Arabian names and then you've got um, Anglo- uh, Spanish fied I guess to L yeah. so it's so interesting yeah. you you mentioned most deaf because actually I didn't know that about the Huxley thing, mm. but when I was listening to your EP and I've heard some of your um, songs online as well before in the past, and it's got that most deaf flow. Mm. You oh, know, man. you you jump between so many different subjects, yeah, yeah, yeah. while intertwining it into one, yeah, and it's just constant lyric, 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 yeah, lyric, yeah, lyric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that was he definitely someone who you modelled yourself off of? I mean, for sure, like. He's one of those people that it's hard not to be to be influenced by, and he's just got so much to say. And on the on the on the writing, people always said to me like, "Slow down!" Like you're saying so many things, like you think too much, and like that criticism like really got to me. And it would probably and it has discouraged me in the past. Like I've made music, got to this stage, and just held on to it just because I've been discouraged because of like people being like, "Oh man, you you think too much!" Like just just you try, you try and pack so much in like just just give us but um when you listen to people like that and you listen to people like mf doom and lupe fiasco whoever j electronica like his album came out it was amazing they do that you know they always have a great voice which i don't yet but you know um it works for them and so it just tells you that it can be done and people are telling you this okay do that even more then so that's that's what that's that's what that was. But maybe I do something really simple in my own way as well. I think that's there's something in that. Do you have goals with your music? So you've you know, your EP is out and do you have anything that you do you have an idea of where you want to go next or do you sort of just find it it'll come to you when it'll come to you? Um Yeah, well look I just put out my first thing, so the goal now is just to, to do more. Um Did it give you a sense of confidence putting that out? It did, it really did. Like, it helped just being encouraged, you know. you know. One thing I've said to myself and to other people this year is just be encouraged. Like, hold your, hold, hold your own hand through that thing. That is so important because you can make so many... Like, one of my favourite musicians, Flying Lotus, he's just started making films. But he was a filmmaker first, and not a lot of people know that. And he went to film school and tried making films and did that same thing of, like doubted himself at the 11th hour and then it never came out you know and then he went into music and that took off but that's just when I learn about people like that I'm like wow they they just they just got discouraged and I did that and it's not a good feeling and you have a short time here and the the best thing you can offer is yourself or you know the only thing really you can offer is yourself so try and make that happen and, and keep your nose to that grindstone and just just put more out if you can be encouraged does your music and acting influence each other or do you keep them quite separate I learn about one from the other um, 
so you learn about kind of getting an agent and okay like this is how you book a job and this is how this works and this is what a casting director does and mm. then you try and transpose that to music and then it's like okay you have a manager and then you have a label and you have deadlines oh and you only get this much of the money oh and you only get this much from streaming like you sell your soul and then don't even get the bag at the end of it like so is is from an industry perspective it's interesting to like gauge acting versus music and vice versa and where yeah. the freedom lies in one and not the other and using that to be like actually I I think I deserve a bit more here so you've um you know you're very much rising and doing well in on screen work and you know you you've started to make those early steps in in music as well what uh Will we ever see Nirvana on stage? Maybe. There's one player we really want to do. Um, Accidental Death of an Anarchist. It's a great play by Dario Fo, um, Italian playwright. And Pardon? Great playwright. Yeah, 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 amazing. Actually, like, I've only read that, if I'm honest. Uh, I need to read more. You know, that was his most kind of renowned work. But I think it just... I mean, look, this is my selling point, like it's so relevant to like police deaths today and there could be like a wonderful version of that whether it takes place in the states or in the uk because a lot what a lot of people don't know about the uk is a lot of people die in police custody so you look at deaths out on the street okay like that doesn't happen all too often although you know like you know mark duggan rest in peace but um, deaths after police contact is a big statistic that a lot of people don't know about so there's, there's so much opportunity for because you know theatres always want to do something that's relevant so that's my selling point but also it's just a great place so like something like that would be amazing yeah <laughs> um, something you touched on just then about police brutality and I just want to you know talk about quickly where what the spring of 2020 was like it was just a a crazy time in the world in mm. terms of the movements that were taking place coupled with the coronavirus like what was your stance on in terms of being an actor and just a person who is slowly becoming more recognized for his work and what he's you know just who you are do you feel a pressure to speak up when it comes to black lives matter the movements going on do you feel a, a pressure of man i got a post otherwise people are going to think i don't care um, if I do, then you know this part of it is part of it is good and part of it is bad and part of it is just irony. Like it's important to talk about these things more than ever now. And but people forget, like you know, like you know, social media or anti-social media is not like the only way you can talk about these things. A lot of the time, that's that's just noise in a tunnel that just gets dissipated and, and lost you know amongst all the other things amongst the noise real conversations I think are super important like let's watch something together um, there's, there was a Netflix documentary about uh, like the uh, black trans leader in the states that got assassinated and let's all watch that and, and on they got this Netflix thing where you can all watch things at the same time like let's do that yeah and let's have a conversation about it afterwards, like at the very start. So I think what you're getting at is there's a certain symbolism that comes to talking about these things. And symbolism is important to a lot of people, but it's not everything. And and otherwise you're just scratching at the surface. It's like, 
okay, you pulled the statue down, now pull the hate down, you know? Yeah. Let's really talk about these things. But I think we're far from that. We're far from having the right the right conversations. You know, they they, they took um, the colonial education um, into into the Houses of Parliament and they weren't having it. No. Speaking of that, I know um, there were some comments around your role in 1917. Mm. Um, you're right to touch on that? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So tell me what you felt around that because you didn't really respond to that on social media. Lawrence Fox's comment on your mm-hmm. role not Mr. being Mr. you respond. <laughs> we need a response. The people are waiting. <laughs> was there that? No one cares. I want to know what your response you. was yeah. inside yourself, really. I mean, I can guess what it was. but I mean, actually, I find out about it because you sent it to me. Was I the first person to say Yeah. Okay. You sent it to me on So let's just give WhatsApp. it some context. So Lawrence Fox felt as... Uh, he, From what I remember, I haven't read up on it in a while, but from what I remember, he felt it wasn't realistic that there was a Sikh soldier portrayed in this film and in 1970 diversity on people yeah. which was the one that I found most interesting to read and naturally that got a lot of backlash on social media now I sent it to Naban that morning and actually once I sent it I was like oh my god he's probably been bombarded with this for the past three hours and it will continue for the next two weeks so yeah I would love to know your take when you read that do you feel a sense of, are you reactionary in those moments? Do you need to go and think about it? Just how how did it make you feel? Man, it, it's, um, it really didn't make me feel anything. And it, it just as a general rule of thumb, like it's not helpful when you're reactionary, even just within yourself. You know, if I was feeling any kind of way, which I wasn't. And I really, you know, my problem with the film is it wasn't enough, wasn't enough. What about, what about the Caribbean soldiers? What about the West African soldiers? What about the East Asian soldiers? You know, so when people are operating on that wavelength, and it's incredibly easy to spot that that's a headline statement. I've never heard of that person. So why, why, why should I click on it? You know, you know really, this thing has nothing to do with me. Um, and it's just, it's just about as important as moss on a tree. So that's why I didn't click on it. Uh, you touched on the fact that you felt there wasn't enough um, representation in the film in terms of other soldiers, potentially. Is that something, do you think you would have, uh, or maybe you did, is that something you think you could have gone up to Sam Mendes with and had a conversation about? No. No? Okay. No. It's important to know he's also telling the story about his grandfather. Yes. Um, and I think he was he was focused on that. Yeah. Um and it was a one-shot film, which is incredibly technical. And outside of that, I think yeah, I mean, those are the main it's a beautiful film. priorities. Yeah, but it's important to say both. You know, both things can be true. It yeah. can be a beautiful thing, and we can also demand more. And I can also demand more. Yeah. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean I'm slandering in in any way. You know, like I'm very happy to be part of that film. And the reason why I did the film is my grandfather fought in the war for the British Empire. You know, he never he never set foot in England, but he fought for it. So that's why I did it. And it's okay for me to have demands beyond that. We are, uh, well, we have fast run out of time. Um, so really? Nabon, that's yeah, a here. That was, it was mad quick. And uh, hey, that's the beauty of, of a podcast. You know, you, you feel like um, the time's just gone. We're just in a conversation. Yeah. So mm. we'll definitely have to do a part two for this, 100%. Mm. Um, 
I'm looking forward to Industry coming out, which we were both on, which will be out later on in the ooh, year. Ooh. So that'll be super exciting. Um, you just did, or were you in the middle of Station Eleven? Yeah, I was in the middle of it. It's about pandemic. Then the pandemic happened. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. you. I, I saw somewhere you'd written that, and I was like, "Man, that's so crazy. That must have been so weird." Mm. You're like, "Wait, is this what's actually happening right now?" Yeah. Are you, do, you, do you have an idea when you're going to continue filming that? Have you started up again? No, we haven't started up. It's in Chicago. We're okay. filming that, so yeah, things in the states aren't looking too too bright. But not maybe yet. when this is out, you know, maybe we started. So yeah, hopefully. Okay. Well, but you know, I'm not holding my breath. We'll see when it goes. Well, let's close on our favorite question. What's the best part? What's of your inspiration? The- <laughs> <laughs> oh, nah. nah, nah, it's more fun than that. What's the best part of the job for you? Is it getting the call, doing the work, so the process, or the end product? Watching it back, seeing it live, hearing it. The best part is, and this doesn't even happen on every job, is when the people who are making it allocate time towards like, okay, this is a script and the script is finished, but like, this is where like some other work starts and like, let's let's make some magic. Let's just workshop this like you would in a theater. You know, I really, I love that. It's just play. Um, maybe not the most glamorous answer, no, I, I think that comes but under process. Process, yeah. I think that comes and under also, process. like, wearing wallabies on a red carpet. Yes, love that. Why love not? that. What did you wear them for? I wore um, uh, BAFTAs. Nice. For Informa, I, I, I wore a pink suit. Good color Mouse choice. pink. And then same shade, pink suede wallabies, and then a white turtleneck. I look like the biggest drug dealer <laughs> out of South America. It was great. Did you have the beret that day? Didn't have the beret. I feel like I associate that with you. If there was ever a Naban statue, it would have to have a beret on it. I appreciate that, man. I'm trying to push that beret into people's face. I want to throw berets at people. I love a beret. My career. I think I've weirdly had a dream last night that I was wearing a beret, so this is freaking me out a bit. Maybe, maybe you were reading up on Naban and maybe. every picture had him Potentially. with the beret. <laughs> Potentially. That's what I want. You know what's funny? I used to, um, when I was at college, did my A-levels, it was um, it was a sixth form where they wouldn't. Everyone had to dress smart. You mm. weren't allowed to be in trainers mm. and jeans. So everyone will come in trousers and a shirt. And uh, you know, I was seventeen, and they were like, "You can't wear trainers." And I was like, "All right, here's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, I'm gonna wear white wallabies." So every day for two years, I wore white wallabies. So I felt wow. like I had trainers on. And they let you? And they let because it's shoes. It's a shoe, right? It's not a trainer. So technically speaking. I, I hadn't broken any rules. Shout out to the most ver- versatile piece of footwear yeah. <laughs> ever made. <laughs> Loved it. And here's years. me saying you shouldn't sell anything. Here Sponsored you go. The yeah. divine market in all of us. <laughs> all right, guys, we're going to get kicked out. So, on that note, Naban, Rizwan, thank you for coming on to the Rule 90 Exception podcast. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, we definitely have to do this again. Thank you so much, man. Bright moments. What a wallabies. What a wall. Oh, oh my wallabies. gosh.